everybody. Welcome to Inside the Album with Don and Tommy. I'm Don. I'm Tommy. Hey. <laughs> See, I'll let you do it this time. All right. Thanks, Don. Yeah, Let's no problem. Today. Yeah, so uh, this is the podcast where we go into uh, classic albums and talk about the stories about how those albums came together, how the songs were written, how they were recorded, and we give you a kind of an inside look as to what was going on at the time of the recording of that album. And today we are covering an all-time great. It sounds like I feel like we say this every time, but we just wow. keep covering great albums. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this one we're doing is All Things Must Pass by George Harrison. And uh, it's technically not his first album uh, as a solo, but we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit. But it's an amazing, amazing record because George had just so much content, you know, so much music built mm. up from the Beatles years that just didn't get used on the Beatles records. You know, not just us saying it, but considered by many a, a musical masterpiece. Uh, truly. Yeah, w without a doubt. It's on, yeah. you know, a million different lists and uh, uh, sold a lot of copies. And, you know, we'll get into it in detail. Yeah, and there's it. a lot to talk about with this album because it's it's crazy the amount of people that are on this record and who's uh, on this record. And it's just who's not... who's of that time. Right. Exactly. It was like yeah. the, the you know, the the lineup of the sev early 70s was amazing. Yeah, it's great. We're going to talk about that because I was looking at it and thinking about it, you know, if George had to put a band together, he had quite the guys to pick, guys and gals to pick from. Yes, without a yeah. doubt. Without a doubt. I look forward to discussing it. Some of the greats. Yeah. So uh, let's talk about, uh, we also work with a charity. Yes. And so in, you know, in concert here with our podcast, we're also working with the charity Music for Mark. So why don't yeah. you tell us a little bit about that, Don? Well, thanks, Don. Music for Mark, you know, this is why we're doing this, to raise awareness for it. We're trying to bring music to the schools, kids who can't or don't have uh, musical instruments. We want to bring musical instruments to the world, keep the music alive. You and I both know what music has done for our lives, how it's impacted us, you know, even if it's just spiritually, you know, and how for much sure. we enjoy music, you know, it puts us in that right mindset of, of God, life is good. So uh, that's what we're doing. You know, music for Mark, bringing musical instruments to kids yep. who other, other way wouldn't get one. Yeah, and if you have any used uh, or old musical instruments that are sitting around in your basement or attic, haven't been touched for decades, hmm. uh, just reach out to us, musicformark.com, and we'd like to repurpose those and get them into the hands of uh, kids who are looking to learn how to play. Perfect. All right, so the album yeah. is All Things Must Pass, and usually what we do is start with the, you know, the band lineup. Um, so here goes the list on this mm. record. So first of all, the, the list, the definitive, there is no definitive list of everybody on this album. And there's a lot of, there's some rumored people who I'm going to give you at the end who are not really kind of listed there, but people thought they were on the record. So we start off with uh, Bobby Whitlock. You've got Jim Gordon, Carl Radall, and you might know those guys. They were Derek and the Dominoes, right, with Clapton. And yep. then you have Bobby Keys, who eventually went on to start playing with the Stones. Uh, Jim Price, who I'm not super familiar with. Do you know him, Tom? No, I don't. Okay. 
uh, Dave Mason, who we all know, a great guitarist. Uh, Eric Clapton, yep. of course, you know, at the time, probably the best guitarist uh, out there in rock. Also on the record is Peter Frampton. Mm. And, and oh, wow. yeah, and Frampton was not listed on the album, but he played on uh, on several songs with, uh, I think it was acoustic uh, guitar. Mm. Uh, Ginger Baker, who was the wow. drummer for Cream, is also on the record. Ringo Starr, of course, who Ringo, you know, Ringo was like friends with everybody in the Beatles, right? Everybody loved Ringo. Nobody kind of hated Ringo. Ringo was, you know, super popular. And yeah. George and Ringo had a had a really strong bond. So Ringo's on this record as well. Yeah. Yeah. You also got Billy Preston, who we've talked about in the recording for uh, uh, Abbey Road or what did we do? We do Let It Be or Abbey Road? I forget. Abbey Road. We did Abbey Road. Yep. Yeah. So it was during those sessions where the yep. you know a lot of the crossover happened between those albums and the recording of those songs. But Billy Preston was there. Uh, Klaus Vorman, who had played with the Beatles here and there over the years, uh, I think he played bass, if I'm not mistaken, but I may may not be wrong. I may not be right there. I'm not sure. Um, and then the others, there were others also, and the rumors are that John Lennon is actually on this record. Maurice Gibb from the Bee Gees, and sure. also uh, the band as a unit, possibly the band, the was band. on this. So, you know, you know, these those last three are, are rumored. So I don't know how accurate that is. But as we're going to talk about a little bit further on, uh, George Harrison did spend a lot of time with Bob Dylan at this time. Yeah, you can and see I, the connection with the band and Dylan and Harrison. Yep. Yeah. And they actually recorded and he actually recorded a Dylan song here that a song that Dylan wrote and George yeah. and, and Bob Dylan actually recorded together. He's Great one of the song. few, yeah, one of the few. If I don't know if anybody else actually ever recorded with Bob Dylan, um, ah, at the ah. time. And then uh, it, the album was produced by by George, but also co-produced by Phil Spector, and so that's where you get a lot of the, uh, you know, the the very echoey, reverby type sound that's on this record. It's that you know Phil Spector wall of sound sound. Wall of sound, yeah. Which you know. I, I'm okay with, but I think he overdoes it a lot. You know, like he pushes too much into that reverby kind of zone. Well, you know what? After a while, it all starts to sound the same. Right. And that's the problem yeah. I have with it. It loses yeah. its voice. It loses its distinction. It's just like, yep. there's so much in the, in there, so many layers just for the sake of having them almost, you know, that, that's my, that's my kind of beef with the it's wall. Like of his, sound. It's, it's like his signature. You know, mm -hmm. this is this is me. This is what you know. Because and then uh, no other way would it be on the album if it wasn't for that. And you knowing that he was part of it. You know what I mean? Right. Exactly. Yeah. So this is actually George's third solo record. He actually did uh, a record called Wonderwall Music in 1968, which was a mostly instrumental soundtrack album. And then he also did an experimental uh, record called Electronic Sound in 1969. Mm. So those two records, even though they were released in public and everything, George still considered All Things, his, All Things Must Pass as his first solo album. Right. The record was recorded over a period from uh, May through October of 1970 and then released at the very end of November 1970. So again, just like last week, we have another album that was kind of, you know, the, the Sabbath record was recorded at the end of 1970 and then was actually a 1971 record. 
So same thing here. You know, technically it's a 1970 record, but it really, you know, kind of just was released at the very end of the year. So at that time, again, I'll tell you the same bands that we talked about last week that were on the charts. It's Led Zeppelin Four, Sticky Fingers, uh, What's Going On, Marvin Gaye, Madman mm -hmm. Across the Water, Elton John, and Blue by Joni Mitchell were very popular in 1971. You realize when you go through that how lucky we were that with the music we had in our life? <laughs> yeah, and you know, for me, this is kind of... I, I kind of got into the 60s. Well, I was born in 63, so I was didn't have awareness of the 60s, real right. awareness of the 60s music until after, more like in the 70s and 80s. So this is right. kind you of, about yeah, this, this record and like things like um, My Sweet Lord and, and some of the other tunes on this are songs that I, you know, are kind of my first memories of music that I was kind of really into, you know? Right. The success of the album was was huge. My Sweet Lord was a highly successful chart-topping single. It was number one around the world the first few months of 1971. And it's the first solo single by a former Beatle to be number one in the UK or the US. Yeah. So I like that fact. It was the first number one single of any Beatle once the Beatles broke up. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and, you know, I think a function of that is kind of George had a lot of this music ready to go, you know, and the Beatles had to kind of rewrite, you know, so Paul had to write new music or pull some, a few things that he had point. laying around. You know, John, same point. thing, because their albums, their songs were always on the albums, right? Oh, it's, it's a good point. Uh, yeah. So it uh, the albums ranked uh, was ranked 433 on Rolling Stone's list of 500 greatest albums of all time. And then in the revision in 2012 that they did, they moved it up to 368. Yes, sir. 433. Yeah. I'd have to check out the first 432. <laughs> I know. It seems very low, right? Uh, 368 even seems low to cut. me. You but, know, it almost didn't make the cut. I know. That's so weird. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, so the album also was number one on 11 different charts around the world, including the U.S. and the U.K. So it really was, was super popular. Oh, yeah. And I think, you know, it... it I think the thing was that there was a lot of anticipation because it was an ex-Beatle and it was the first album. So they, people knew it was coming out. George had talked about it, and we'll, we'll talk about this a little previously, a couple of years beforehand. And he didn't really commit to it until, you know, Paul ended up leaving the band. But uh, so I think there was a lot of anticipation for that, and that kind of fueled it. But again, the songs are, are fantastic, so it's totally understandable why it did so well. Seven times platinum. Yep. Over 7 million sold. So, again, yeah. amazing stats, big yeah. numbers for a big record. Crazy. Um, and so usually we talk about the status of the band, and, you know, it's it's George Harrison's solo career after the Beatles. Yeah. So, uh, and a lot of the songs on this album reflect that, I think. You know, when you when you listen to them and you and you hear about uh, the stories behind them, you'll you'll understand that. But it's really him just getting started as a solo artist, and and at the time he was, uh, you know, the Beatles were kind of done even before they left. You know, so George was out touring with Clapton and Delaney and Bonnie and playing shows here and there with other people and recording and producing other stuff. So they were he was kind of already moving in that direction before the album came out, and I think the uh, that that action 
of him being out in the world and producing others and and doing you know he's producing blues and gospel and he's out touring with Clapton and and these guys and I think all of those actions kind of you know fueled the beginning of George as an individual uh songwriter and and artist really yeah and George was a big part of Badfinger so at right. that time you know they were started to you know uh, Apple Records came in to play Apple Studio and started to, everybody started to come there so he was around key people all the time but if you watch you know the get back uh documentary if you watch the get back documentary you'll see exactly where George was going yeah. you know what I learned about that watching the get back of all the guys who was upset in the band George was number 1 he was done by that time no. yeah yeah you know and it, the, the, it's interesting because the writers at the time about this album said that George had equaled or maybe even surpassed McCartney and Lennon as a songwriter. Yeah. You know, yeah. and I think I think it's true that he he when he got to the like he had something. And what was the other song at the end there that was really popular by the Beatles that he had? I forget now. Um, but when you know, those songs showed that his songwriting ability was up here like way way above where it was it's probably while my guitar gently weeps right yeah so those yeah. types of things are kind of george like you know just rolling into this solo career and becoming really a, a real a substantial uh artist on his own a, a little thing you know I, I talk about the get back i loved it you know I, i'm a huge peter fan huge george harrison fan but i saw an interview with john lennon and i asked him about the breakup the beatles and he said, you know, the greatest thing about the breakup of the Beatles was all the great music that came after. Yeah. You know, John was a big, John was very happy about the fact that everybody got to put out great music to the world with them have, without them having to do it as the Beatles, let's right. say. Yeah, even you know, Ringo, great, you know, who would have thought oh, that, that the drummer would come out. And Ringo had a, a really great career with a lot of hit songs. He still does. Yeah, he's still out on the road today. <laughs> oh, yeah. Dude, Ringo's All-Stars have been playing forever. Well, and I've always said, I think Ringo's going to be the last Beatles standing, you know? Oh, well, yeah. I, and I don't know why. I just have a feeling that he's going to be the last surviving Beatle. Nothing uh, against Paul. I love Paul. wish him a long life, but, but Ringo's just oh, yeah. the man. Oh, yeah. He's got a great spirit. Yeah, definitely. Yep. A very positive person. Oh, yeah. Peace and right. love. Peace and love. Peace and love, baby. So let's take a look at the album cover here. Yeah. And it's, you know, hippie George with the long hair sitting on a chair in a field surrounded by four gnomes. <laughs> it's a couple and, gnomes. Yeah. And this one is interesting. So, the you know, the, the rumor or the thought in most people's minds is that this is the, the gnomes are the four Beatles. Ah. And this is George kind of raising up and leaving, you know, removing himself from those Beatles. And it kind of works. Every, right? album, every album back in the 70s had a subliminal message, right? Yeah, right. But this is one I like. And, the, you know, we yeah, talked last cool. week about the Paranoid cover, and I wasn't a big fan of it because it just seemed, right. like, weird. But this one, actually, I think, you know, it's very – first of all, it's a very artistic shot, right? It's a really great photo. And – the fact that, you know, whether or not they are the Beatles, according to, you know, in George's mind, yeah. it's it's a great story. So I, I love it. Let's go with it. Yeah. Paul Gnome, John Gnome. <laughs> Ringo Gnome, George Gnome. 
There you go. So when this album <laughs> when this album was released, it was a three disc record. So right. it's really, right. I mean, it's really a double because the, there's a third bonus disc called Apple Jam, which is all, it's really good. And it's just instrumental jams because it's, you know, it's George Harrison, Eric Clapton. I think Dave Mason is on it and there's a couple of others in there. But, uh, and we'll talk about one of the songs on the Apple Jam record, but really in reality, it's a, it's a double album. Right. Just keep the recorder on while you're in the studio. Yeah, yeah, right. Which and, is great. you know, when you've got guys like, and when we, we've said this before, when you got guys like George Harrison, Dave Mason, and Eric Clapton in the studio, you, you just record all the time because you never know when something good is going to come out. So George, uh, you know, he also started to write more songs around this time, kind of renewing his interest in the guitar because he had been studying the Indian sitar. So, you know, in the like uh, 60, I guess 67 that started, right? So 67, 68, 69. Right. He's playing the sitar, which is interesting. To me, it's kind of, I don't know. I, I hate to say it's a one trick pony, but after you've heard it, the sitar, I'm not that interested in it, right? Is that yeah. how you feel about it? I understand. It was his relationship and his friendship with Ravi Shankar, you know, and it all leads to and with the concert for Bangladesh. Right. Yeah. George, we'll, we'll George touch on really, that. Yeah. George really got involved with it, you know, and in the Indian culture and, and religion. Right. Yeah. It, yeah. It was a very spiritual thing for, for George. Yeah. But I'm but, with you. I could do it out the sitar. Yeah, and you know, it's it's I I don't hate it, but it's I'd rather hear a guitar. And at this point, George is back in with the guitars, and it's really clear, uh, you know, in this record. Well, his uh, this was one of the most he's ever played slide on this album, where he really brought himself along as a guy who played great slide guitar. Yes, yes, yeah. and that's very very noticeable here. And he really just kind of learned that around this time. Yeah. He was yeah. not a slide player before. And he's a, he's a master at it, sound wise. Yeah. yeah well, he's good. just a great guitar player. You it's know, his sound. That's doubt, the thing yeah. we're talking. You know, you, when you hear, you know, you can hear George Thorogood slide, Johnny Winter slide. You know who it is, right? And then you know it's George Harrison playing slide. And even in the Beatles, you know, John and Paul are great musicians. Right. They play. You know, each of them play multiple instruments and everything. But George was the guitar player in the Beatles. Oh, yeah. Okay. You know, he was the solo guy and lead for the most part. Talented cats, though, those Beatles, I got to tell you. Yeah. And somebody. <laughs> and George, again, was one of the few musicians who was able to co-write songs with Bob Dylan. You know, Dylan didn't notoriously worked on his own, didn't, you know, wasn't bringing in other people to work with. So he had uh, written with written with Dylan right before this recording. He also had collaborated with Eric Clapton on Badge, which became a hit, hit single for yeah, Cream in the spring right. of 1969. Here's George Harrison playing with the greatest musicians of the day and recording with them. And it, again, it just shows you that level that George is at. Surrounded by the greats of the greats, as they say. Yeah. No doubt. So George began publicly talking about recording his own album in the fall of 1969. But he only committed to it after Paul announced that he was leaving the Beatles in April of 1970. 
So again, you know, he we all know the story. He only got a song or two on each Beatles record and he felt frustrated. You could see it in the Get Back documentary. You yep. know, Paul used to tell him, no, don't play it like that. Play it like this, you know, and he just, <laughs> that's, you know, that, that to me, that's the straw. I remember watching it. It's kind of yeah. painful. Yeah. You can see it. And he's very British, right? So they're very, he's very polite. He doesn't like get super angry, you know. Just a little snippy. They get right, snippy. a little snippy and then he leaves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Enough. Yeah. So, the tough, it was a tough time. It was. You know, and it was, it and, and in their defense, Lennon and McCartney, you know, in the beginning, Harrison was the guitar player, wasn't a songwriter. He grew right. as a person as the exactly. band grew along. Yeah. You know? And all of a sudden he was like, hey, I want to be a songwriter. And that's my point is that it's like it's a George Harrison growth. Right. Yeah. And when he gets to this point now, now, 1969, 1970, he's fully matured as a, as a musician, as a songwriter, you know. And it, it all is coming together here, and, and we benefit by a great record. You said you're going to talk about Bangladesh, right? Yes. Good. I'll talk then. Go ahead. Okay. And so Harrison, he had accumulated a lot of songs over the years, and some of them were from as far back as 1966. Wow. So isn't it a pity and Art of Dying are both from 1966? That's insane that he held on to that song for t four years, four or five years. Wow. Uh, isn't it a pity is, what, nine minutes? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's pretty long. It's a great song, though. I love oh, yeah. It. yeah. Oh, it's up there. But that's that's the thing. It's Yeah. And we put that on the radio. Exactly. Right. It's not a, yeah, it's not really a radio hit. Yeah. Uh, but uh, he also co-wrote at least two songs with Bob Dylan while in Woodstock. And one of which was I'd Have You Anytime. And that appears as the lead track on this record. And Harrison also wrote uh, Let It Down in late 1968. So it, this isn't all fresh new material, but he's finally getting a chance to bring it to life. Nice. So aside from the other 17 songs that were issued on the two discs, he recorded at least 20 other songs, either in demo form for Spectre or just before recording got officially underway in late May. Uh, and some of them were outtakes from the session. So he had a, a real wealth of material here. Wow. And Phil Spector would go in and record a lot of the backing tracks live uh, with the musicians. In some cases, they featured multiple drummers and keyboard players and as many as five rhythm guitarists at wow. once. This is all happening at once. So he's got play, like a rock orchestra. Yeah. Wow, so it's guitar, crazy. He's a guitar orchestra. That's great. Yeah. So Bobby Whitlock said it was a studio space. It was this huge, massive room with two sets of drums on risers, a piano, an organ, and other keyboards on the wall to the left side. And up against the other wall on the right, there was uh, the guys from Badfinger. And then in the center were Eric and George with guitars. So wow. it's it's really like a, it's just like a 1970 all star rock and roll orchestra here. <laughs> so that's a place you'd like to be hanging out. Yeah, that's crazy. That's great stuff, man. All right. Now, since this is a double or triple record, we're going to do something a little different. Normally, we go through every song on the record and talk about them. Here, what we did is just pick out our favorites uh, because we really don't have time to go through the entire record. 
Um, so we're going to start off and we're going to jump around. We're not going to go in order here, but we're going to start around, start off with, uh, one of our favorites. And this song is Wawa. So good, right? Best riff. Again, just fantastic, fantastic song. <laughs> and uh, Harrison George wrote this after, when he temporarily left the Beatles, as we saw in the uh, the documentary. You know, yep. when he left, he went out and wrote this song. <laughs> wow. I'll show you. Yeah. Well, and the, he said this. He later confirmed that the song was a swipe at Paul. You yeah. know, uh, it was the first song recorded uh, for the album. And during the playback, Harrison was shocked at the amount of uh, echo that Spectre had added since the performance had sounded relatively dry through his headphones. Mm, oh, I got um, it, sure. Yeah, so it's a big difference from what he was hearing, right? So yeah. uh, Klaus Vorman immediately loved it, and Clapton loved it as well. And Harrison said that later he grew to like it. Yeah, well, you know, so, all I can share about this song real quick is that... Uh, yeah, I didn't get the I didn't get the opportunity to see George, but you know the great band, the Fab Foe, yes. that we have around us here. Yes. Yeah, at the Beacon. Uh, and if you like uh, the Beatles, definitely with... go see the Fab Foe if they play near you. They're <laughs> fantastic. Well, I, I saw on George's seventieth birthday, they uh, they came on a stage and opened up with Wawa. Yeah, I was at that God. show with you. Oh, that's right. One of the greatest <laughs> moments, man. Hey, you were with me. It was the greatest, right? When oh, they the came greatest. out and just ripped into it. It was like, oh. The greatest. Oh, my so God. So good. So what good. A, what an opening song, right? Just oh. so much joy. That was such a great show. That was great. Yeah. Oh, and God. I can't, you know, if you, wherever you are, if the Fab Foe comes to your town, go see them. They don't dress up like the Beatles, so you're not going to get, like, you know, Nope. The Sergeant Pepper's outfits and all that stuff, but they play the songs precisely as they are on the record. Amazing. And it's amazing. Band. Just amazing. Yep. Go see them. George said it was a song that when he left the Let It 
B-movie, you know, he's talking about the scene where him and Paul are having the argument, which we were just talking about. Right. And he said, you know, we're trying to cover it up. So they are being very British, right? Very polite. And then the next scene, he's not there. And he sees, you know, the movie afterwards. And Yoko's just screaming, doing her screeching thing. <laughs> and he says, that's where I, I, he had left. And he went home and he went to write Wawa. He said, it had given me a Wawa. Like I had such a headache with that whole argument, it was such a bad headache. So this is just about that, you know? Wow. The the aggravation. And then could you imagine getting into a fight with like one of your best friends in your, top, you know, super popular band over how to play something? It's enough to make you leave the studio. And as you're going out, you hear Yoko wailing <laughs> in the background. It's just layer upon layer upon layer of like, <laughs> Well, it, it gives you reason. It gives you reason. And think yeah. about it, right? All the greatest songs that you go down the list, it, it's wrapped around some sort of emotion, right? Anger, sadness, guilt. Yeah, yeah. Right? But a great Pain. result. Great result yeah. for all of us. All of it, right? So that's that's amazing. So this is his tribute to Yoko. <laughs> about time. Yeah, there you go. Let's move on to the next track that we're going to cover. This one is All Things Must Pass. This one is a, another song that uh, George had, I guess, for a couple of years. He really said it was really about kind of the breakup of the Beatles, you know? So as it's happening, they all know it, right? You can kind of sense what's going on. But, uh, you know, it's about moving on in his life and dealing with that breakup of his band. Yeah, and just, just an absolutely beautiful song. And you know what? You're starting to recognize and notice that. You know, George's vocals, tremendous, tremendous. Right, yeah. exactly. And that's another thing that he didn't get to do a lot in the Beatles, right? No. Oh, no. Just backup. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. It's a beautiful voice. But just that's a gorgeous, song. gorgeous song. Yeah, great song. One of my favorites. Yeah. All right. So let's move on to uh, Beware of Darkness. Oh. <laughs> I'll, I'll just keep saying, oh. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> That's okay. Whoop, whoop, whoop. 
Wrong one, sorry. <laughs> one where you really i mean you you get that rock orchestra feel right you can right. hear this also as a solo of him just on the piano right mm. but now you've got this breath and the guitars and the you know all, all the stuff that's going on in the background it even sounds like they have some kind of classical drums or you know kettle drums or something in the background there as well yeah it, you know it's, it's a true masterpiece the world could use this song today uh, and I mean it, you know, it's George's way of saying, you know, there's so much. George was really getting into the spiritual end of life. And yes. there's so much more to life. And the line that always hit me, and I'm, I'm a huge George Harrison fan, changed my life. You know, uh, it says here, that is not what we are here for. You right. know, the, you know, the pain, the anguish, the anger, you know, the heartache. That's not what we were put on this planet for. Yeah, this song is a great reminder of that. Just a beauty, of absolute beauty. Yeah, and it's it's influenced by George's association with the Radha Krishna Temple, and was written while some of his devotees were staying with him, at, or some of the devotees, not his devotees, <laughs> were staying with him at Friar Park. Yeah. So yeah. he George is warning us against falling victim to the negativity that surrounds us. So you're exactly right. Ah, no doubt. That's exactly yeah. what it is. And you can hear it. It's just beautiful, man. But what a great reminder. You know, I've always had this song, one of my favorites to play when I'm just chilling out, want yeah. to get a good mindset, the reminder. You know, you know, I say it all the time. This is rock and roll, right? What, the, <laughs> the reason we're doing this, and, and I mean it with all my heart, is go play these albums. Yeah, you know, listen everybody to the listening. Thing. Don't right. just listen here. Go get the album, you know, and, and right. play it, listen to it. You know, it, there's true genius in this album. For sure. Yeah. 
And since George had just gone through the breakup with the Beatles, he experienced a lot of intense pressure and unpleasant byproducts that come with that and the rock star lifestyle and all this other oh. stuff. But there's also a political component here, and he sings, beware of greedy leaders. Oh, they yeah. take you where you should not go. Oh, so, sure. you know, along with the religious and spiritual stuff, he's also, you know, a, a, not a real, I guess, an activist, but he he really is, you know, getting his political message across, too. Political, yep. And uh, George often looked to spirituality as a means to escape the darkness. So that's why... You know that's so uh you know consistent and so clear and so visible in his life and music yeah that's tremendous the only time that george ever performed this song live was at the concert for bangladesh there you go so do you want to talk hey. about that or well you know my connection to george harrison and uh really falling in love with george harrison's music was watching the concert for Bangladesh when I was a kid mm -hmm. and realizing what was going on and, you know, that a man can impact the world so much through music. Yeah. You know, I had no idea, but you know, then, then I, I was introduced in the song that I fell in love with is the song Bangladesh. It was the first song I fell in love with from George Harrison, you know, and it was really, you know, something that he wrote on a napkin or on a slip of paper really quick. Uh -huh. And just got it into the concert, and I just realized the genius of this man, the spirituality of this man, and his love for his fellow man. You know, that was yeah. his whole thing. Was he was right. a lot deeper than just the music. He was a to me, he was a real good guy. You know, yeah. and I love I love that about him. So and, yeah, and that, that, go ahead. Go ahead. No, nope. I was just gonna say that that concert was that was really the the first big charity concert, right? Sure. They, they, those weren't done before. Now nope. you see them here and there; they pop up every once in a while. Right. But um, it was organized to help Bangladeshi refugees in India. It took place on August first, nineteen seventy one. Two shows at Madison Square Garden in New York City, and Harrison's backup band was Eric <laughs> Clapton, Ringo, Leon Russell, members of Badfinger. So it, it it's, you know, it, it, again, you've got a crazy lineup here and amazing George at his peak. And the live album actually uh, for the concert won a Grammy Award for album of the year. Yeah, it was amazing. And Dylan played a whole set. Yeah. And yeah, that was rare. Dylan didn't do stuff like that a, yeah, a lot. Just, he came out for his friend. You know, that yeah. was the relationship. That was the relationship George had with everybody. He was a friend. That's what it seems like. Everybody was a friend of George, right? right. It didn't seem yeah. like like even the Beatles, you know, I know they had their moments and stuff, but they loved each other. They were oh, like yeah. brothers, you know, it was like family. So you had fights and stuff, but they still no loved doubt. them. No doubt about it. Yeah. All right. So let's move on. The next one we're going to cover here is what is life? <laughs> Again, another super hit of the 70s, right? What I feel I can't say my love is you any time of day. 
So this song really, I mean, of that time, this song sounds the most like that time, right? Don't you think? Like, this was a sound you heard, I think, on the radio a lot at that time. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know what you say, I know what you're thinking. That it's that, the um, horns, it's the the production. Yeah. The um, I'm trying to think of the word that would fit it very, uh, let's say, a, almost a pop song more than a rock song. Yeah, a little bit, yeah, a little poppy. Yeah, definitely yeah. top forty type song, but I love yeah, it. I got you. And again, I I just literally this is like one of those songs that I I remember when I was a young kid of hearing over and over again. Uh, um, but George's musical activities outside the band during 1969 inspired uh, a lot of songs on the album. And What His Life came to him while he was driving to a London session that spring for Billy Preston's That's the Way God Planned It album. So, again, he's, you know, it, it, he's so influenced by these fantastic musicians that he's got around him. And the result is just amazing. Yeah. Billy Preston and him were really good friends. Yeah, and Billy really is just friends. amazing. And if you haven't seen that Get Back documentary, uh, at least watch, I think it's the second part where Billy Preston comes in and okay, plays. Yeah. And unbelievable. Will blow you and, away. And go get it. Go get the concert for Bangladesh. Yeah. You won't be, you won't be disappointed. <laughs> yeah, and same thing with Billy Preston's record, right? Oh. That's just such a great, great album. Yeah, and... uh you know, this was a good time in George's life. I really mean that. I think he, you know, the freedom that came with it. You know, a lot of his songs, uh, you could hear like a message to the world, a message to life. What is life without you by my side? You know what I mean? Right. That we don't go through this life alone. I, that's what I've always loved about it. You know, there was always a, a caring note to all the music and the songs. It wasn't just, hey, let me throw a song down and let right. me just write a song. Uh, he's a guy that wrote from his heart. Yeah. It's awesome. And that line could be interpreted as, you know, you as my wife or you as my God, you know? So it's, yeah, it could be the spirituality. It could be, you know, friends in his life. His, yeah. You as you my know, friend. Yeah. Yeah. That's the way I always looked at it. It could be anywhere, anybody, anytime. Right. Yeah. What is life? So originally George wrote this for Billy Preston and it had more of a gospel feel. So George was producing music at the time, and he was producing some blues and gospel stuff. And, and he recorded it a couple different ways, ended up liking the kind of the fast rocker version that we hear now. So he decided it wouldn't be good for Billy Preston, and he kept it himself. Um, you know, and he worked with Billy Preston because they were friends, and he was also, yep. Billy Preston was one of the first artists on the Apple label. Wow. Uh. The original song had piccolo, trumpet, and oboe parts that weren't used because Harrison didn't like that feel. Uh, <laughs> but they can be heard on the reissue of the album where the original backing track is included as an extra song. So you can check that out if you want. It sounds interesting. But again, I think to me, that's a little bit of, you know, Phil Spector and there, it's just too much, right? <laughs> well, yeah, no piccolo. Yeah, no piccolo. We banned the piccolo. Yeah, no, there'd be no piccolo. Thank you. No, I get it. It's, yeah, he always, the wall of sound is literally that brick after brick. You think of it that way. He built upon everything. Everything was never ground floor. Yeah. Everything was built out. Every yeah. sound. And to me, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But, yeah. you know, that's personal hey. choice. George put the kibosh on it. Yeah. 
All right, so let's take a listen to the next track we're going to look at here. This is Awaiting on You All. So this one uh, is is one of the more overtly religious compositions on All Things Must Pass. And here's where you really hear that Phil Spector, you know, the wall of sound, right? Right. It literally, you can yeah, hear all it, it just growing and growing and growing. He yep. just loves the reverb, which, you know, I have, again, I like it in spots, but here it seems like it, to me it's a bit much. It's kind of overwhelming. So you had mentioned religious part, right? It, it, this is yeah. one of my favorite George Harrison songs. Not in the beginning of his songs, he's talking about spirituality. And then later on in the song, he goes against religion. There's, a, I, I, got, I got it here. I, 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 it was always my favorite line. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and while the Pope owns 51% of General Motors, yeah. right? And the stock exchange is the only thing he's qualified to quote us. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, and it fits in perfectly in the song. I wish we could play it. But, you know, the, the, the thing with this is there's a difference between religion and spirituality. Right? Oh, right. So yeah. you could be very religious and not oh. spiritual at all. You know, if you're coming out of church on Sunday morning and cursing out the other drivers in the parking lot, right. maybe you're not so spiritual. You know? right. there's, there's religion, there's spirituality, there's organized religion. You can break it down any way you want, right? I get it. Yeah. Yeah. So George recalled writing this song while preparing to go to bed, and he uh, mentioned that it was something that came together really easily for him. So another story where we, we talk about a, you know, a legendary musician who, where the song just kind of comes to them, and it's amazing. That's what, a, what a great song. Everything about yeah. it. It's yeah, just fun. Yeah. It's just a, a fantastic. Yeah. All right. So let's get into what is probably, I guess, the, uh, the biggest hit, right? Uh, My Sweet Lord. Yes. <laughs> Oh 
I think everybody's pretty familiar with this. It was the, the huge hit for George Harrison as a solo artist. Um, and so George began writing it as an exercise in writing a gospel song during the Delaney and Bonnie stopover in Copenhagen in December 1969. Wow. So again, he's with these guys out on the road, you know, and Clapton's there and, and the, the, the other uh, players we've mentioned. And when they recorded it, they wanted to get that guitar. They wanted to make that acoustic guitar that's so prevalent at the beginning, make it really kind of thick, right? And so what they did was they uh, put the guitar players in a plywood structure. So they put them in a, like basically a box right. and had them play it in there, which is crazy, but it sounds amazing. I mean, it's to me, it's one of the great acoustic sounds in rock and roll. One of the greatest acoustic sounds, and when I was listening to it, you know how you usually hear a drummer with the but the guitars were actually keeping the time with the yeah. acoustic guitars. Very rhythmic, right? Very yeah, like, yeah, spot on, right? Just amazing. Yeah, and and George's vocals, man, incredible, incredible. Thank great. God they came to the world. You know, blows my mind. In this song, it's it's religious. It's about Eastern religions. But then he also does the hallelujah thing. And then he moves into the Krishna Krishna thing. And his thought there is that it's all the same thing. You know how we say it's all, it's just rock and roll? Well, this is just yeah. spirituality. It doesn't matter whether you're, you know, Christian or, or um, right. you know, whatever. It all means the same thing, and we're all trying to, you know, hopefully be positive people and and make the world a better place and help others and things like that. It's not your God. It's not my God. It's our God. Right. It's me, God. Right. Let's stop breaking it down and take it ownership of God. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And George also mentioned that it was really about a mantra. So mantra is something that you repeat over and over when you're meditating. Yep. And so he said that mantras are they're very mystical sound and the vibration is encased in the syllable. And he said that has a lot of power in it and it, it's hypnotic. So, you know, if if you do, you know, I don't know, people meditate out there or not. But if you do that and you get into these mantras and those types of things, you really understand that effect that it has on your brain and your body. Sure. I get it. And this was the first number one hit for any Beatle after the band broke up. And you can see why it's just, uh, you know, a fantastic and, and legendary song. Yeah. Did you want to talk about the chiffons? <laughs> sure. Go ahead. Well, you know, it was uh, George got sued for this song. Yes. <laughs> uh, that, that it, sounded, Oops, sorry. it sounded exactly like He's So Fine by the chiffons. Yeah. And I uh, went through it and you know, the whole shebang and. Right. Uh, you know, just what it, what it sounded like, same rhythm, same melody, everything well, about it's, it. It's it's a very basic riff, yeah. right? It's a, it's a two or three chord riff, and it's you know that that stuff it repeats throughout music. You you it's unavoidable, but it does sound a lot like he's so fine. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, it's it's there. He lost in court, and it's fine. Yeah. You know? But yeah. the thing is, uh, listen to it, and and soon after, George wrote a song called "This Song." If you get the chance, listen to a song called "This Song." It was his way of getting back and just said, I just wrote this song. I didn't listen to anything. This song. <laughs> it, it's great. This song. Listen to the words to this song. He breaks down exactly what happened with this. 
All right. All right. So let's move on to Isn't It a Pity, which again, one of my all time favorite songs. Right. So this one was one that George wrote in 1966 and it was rejected for inclusion on multiple Beatles albums, including Sgt. Pepper. You know, I, I just got to say something that I feel is profound. So I'm, I'm hopping in because it, it, it just hit me. You know, I, I mean this. This is not a Beatles song. It, it's not a Beatles song. You, you can. Uh, hey, why, why do you say that? I, I think what we're starting to see is that George was writing George Harrison music without knowing it. Yeah. What, what meant to him and not what meant to the Beatles. So what I mean by that is, yes, it could have easily been a Beatles song, mm -hmm. but not written with the intention to be a Beatles song. Like hmm. he was writing songs, but you know, let's let's face it, Lennon and McCartney had a system, a science behind everything they did. Right. That made it a Beatles song, right? You know what I'm getting at? Yeah. And so it was it was different. I don't think this was written to kind of yeah, hey, let's make this a Beatles song. George would have loved it, but it's not a Beatles song. I don't, I don't, for me, that's all I got. That's it. <laughs> that's all, all I, I got. got. No, I'm just saying, I, I just think it was written more from a George Harrison point of view of the world and yeah. not so much the Beatles. Right, right. How would the Beatles have turned that into a Beatles song? It would have been, something else would have been in it. Yeah, I, you know, I think it could have been modified a bit, but I, I think it kind of might have fit into Sgt. Pepper's. 
you know but who knows i mean it, it is what it is it's it's a great great song it's one of my favorites i, I love playing it. i play it on the guitar and it's just amazing no, it's a great song. I just couldn't see it fitting in after for the benefit of Mr. Kite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's a good point. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so George played multiple guitars on this track, uh, and three members of Badfinger provided ambient acoustic guitars. Mm. So that was part of the again the wall of sound from Phil Spector. Yeah. Um. But uh, so George had been suffering about Paul's dic habit of dictating how each musician should play. And um, Harrison then allowed all the contributors to this album to do, you know, express themselves and they have the freedom of doing whatever they wanted when they played. So Badfinger guitarist Joey Mulholland said that George directed the sessions and was completely unassuming and patient. He'd come over to us, bring the guitar over, and say, okay, this is, isn't it a pity? He'd go through the song with us once or twice, show us the changes. Um, and he said George used a lot of diminished chords. If you're a guitar player, you'll understand that. Uh, they're just like different versions of normal chords. Um, and then they would learn the song as they went along, and generally after two or three times through the song, they had a pretty good idea of how it went. So George did the exact opposite of what Paul was doing in the Beatles and just kind of let people play and, and, you know, was happy with what they produced. And I think especially yeah. when you've got a lineup that includes, you know, even some of the minor guys in this, like the guys from Badfinger, they're yeah. still great musicians and amazing oh, yeah. talents. And Tremendous. so if, if you don't let them create, you're, you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot, I think. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, at the end, you know, the Beatles became studio musicians. Nothing was written any longer to be actually performed. You know, it wasn't in their mind anymore. They were done with the road. Right. So it's a different mindset, different concept, you know, of what the songs are going to be like. And right. McCartney became the field general. He took that road over. He took that role over. Well, yeah. Then they were in a situation where the Epstein had died and they needed somebody to do that. So Paul was doing a lot of the business stuff plus the band and kind of just took the lead. And they yeah. needed that. You know, if they didn't have that, it would have been rudderless and they, they probably would have broken up earlier. Well, that documentary showed us so much. Lennon became like the, the little kid in school. He didn't care. He was just sitting there laughing, joking. Hey, if we get this done, who cares? You know, right, he showed, right. up, showed up what he felt like. He was like the bad boy, like funny, having fun, breaking everybody up right. in class. And it, it was great to watch. I loved it. You saw where they were at. You know? Yeah, you got to see the real personalities, though, who they were as people, right? Yeah, McCartney was structured. Lennon was like, hey, whatever happens, you know, uh, Harrison became quite like bitter and angry that he was. And, and Ringo just sat back there going, what the hell's going on? <laughs> Ringo's just like, I got to be behind the drums when yeah. I'm ready to go. No matter what, I'm here. You know, they'll exactly what he was they'll like. start recording he without me. <laughs> there was that one song where they were recording and Ringo was in the bathroom. Yeah. And during the recording, he had to sneak behind Paul and get behind the drums. And I forget which song it is, but it's one of those songs on Abbey Road where the drums don't come in until halfway through. It's because Ringo's in the shitter. That's awesome. Awesome. <laughs> All right. So let's move on. The next track is If Not For You. Uh
this one is one of the Bob Dylan songs, and yep. uh, Dylan wrote this for his first wife, Sarah Dylan. And the track was first released on Dylan's 11th studio album in uh, called New Morning in 1970. And then just a few months later, George released this version of the song. Yeah, I, I knew there was a Dylan influence. I didn't know who wrote it. So yeah, Dylan it's a Dylan song. Dylan wrote oh, well. it, yeah. And you oh, can well. hear it. I mean, you could hear Dylan, oh, right? <laughs> if you're not familiar, even if you're not familiar with the Dylan song, I think you can hear the Dylan-ness in it, right? The cadence and the, the way the yeah. guitar, you know, it's just very Dylan-y. That's why I was thinking even the rhymes, you know, the, the words and how to, uh, I was wondering who wrote it. I didn't realize that Dylan had originally wrote it and that Harris yeah. covered it. Yeah, it's a great tune. Yes, definitely. All right, let's move on to the next one. This is I Dig Love. Oh. So this one uh, resulted from Harrison's early experiments with slide guitar. Ah. And the reason he got into that was Dave Mason was playing, I guess, with uh, Delaney and friends, right? Or Bonnie Delaney and friends. And Delaney he left. So George was playing around with acoustic guitar to kind of make up for Dave Mason not being there. Oh, wow. But this one, I too, you Dave know, Mason. this... Dave Mason's still out there, man. 
Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. But this is he just played locally. This, yeah, yeah, I see him out all the time. Um, but this one, I think, this is one that I think kind of sounds like a Beatles song. I think like the later Beatles songs, you know. Yeah, the influence is there naturally. Kind yeah. of like one of those Beatles songs where you look and you wrote it, you did it, and you go like, "All right, let's just put it on the album." You know, it's it's <laughs> simple, right? It's great. It people is very simple. Love, yeah, people learn to love it. Yeah. And you know what? It was with me is the 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 keyboards. Like it's like boom, 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 boom. Yeah. Instead of going up, it's boom, 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 boom. Right, yeah? right. Which is quite interesting. It's a different approach than lifting it up. It's taking it down. And uh, I always enjoy that. Yeah. That's my musical attribute right there. <laughs> boom, 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 boom. There you go. That's all I know. That's all I got. <laughs> all right. So let's try the next one. We got uh, just a couple more here. Uh, this one is called uh, Apple Scruffs. Ah. And this one, this is another Dylan influence song. So George from that session in, in New York that he was at with Dylan up in Woodstock, uh, he, Dylan gave him if, if Not For You there. And then George wrote Apple Scruffs right after that. So it's another Dylan influence song. And you can hear it with, you know, it's very obvious with the harmonica, and, you know, and that stuff that really it's a Dylan type of song. I don't know. Rumor has it that George had written this about the people who hung out in front of the Apple Studios. That is true. That that they nicknamed them the Apple Scruffs. Yeah. The people sitting on the street waiting to see if who was coming into the studio, like groupies, you know, or whatever. Yes. It might be fans. Yeah. So they nicknamed them the Apple Scruffs. Yeah. And they were mostly hippies, mostly women, you know, not bothering anybody. They would hand out flowers. They were panhandling. So I guess people got annoyed by that because they were dirty hippies asking for money on the street. <laughs> wow. But everybody looked down on them, you know, including the other Beatles, evidently. But George Harrison saw them not as bums, but as human beings. And they were dedicated to their passion, the Beatles music. Yeah. So um, when Harrison finished the song one night, he invited them in to hear it. Oh, that's nice. So that, yeah. So that probably yeah, made, made those girls lives, right? I mean, they were hanging out there all this time and then they're invited in by George Harrison to hear a song about them. <laughs> How awesome yeah. is that? <laughs> and maybe all they needed was a shower. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> probably. It's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Apple Scruffs, ladies and gentlemen. A, a classic tune. <laughs> 
shower. It really is. Yeah, it was a shower. probably right though, right? Yeah. <laughs> that was the hippie way. Oh yeah. Natural. Uh, all right, let's jump into the next one. And this one, I this is on the Apple Jam, I think, right? It's Johnny's birthday. Isn't that on Apple Jam, that record? Well, it's uh, I'm not certain, but I know it's on the, this album here. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so let's I, play it and take a listen. Yeah, let's listen. It's Johnny's birthday. It's Johnny's So this song is for John Lennon, and it was for his birthday. So it's no secret meeting here. It's all very clear. Um, But uh, it's actually sung to the tune of a Cliff Richard 1968 hit called Congratulations. Wow. Yeah. So basically... I get it. Yeah, right, right. So basically, they took that song and and rewrote the lyrics for John Lennon. <laughs> and so get this. This is 1969, 1970. It's John Lennon's 30th birthday. Wow. And, and it's the end of the Beatles, right? He's 30. 30. <laughs> and, 30. you know, so and uh, George was 26, I guess. So these guys are really... I mean, they're kind of just becoming adults, right? When you hit like 25, 26, that's when you're kind of sure. really an adult, right? And and yeah. so um, it's amazing the amount, the amount of, of music they produced before they were, you know, while they were kids. That's, that's just always shocking to me. So I, I got to share it with you. The reason that of all the songs we listed and talked about for this album that we were going to cover and, you know, I, I made sure to put It's Johnny's Birthday in there. Because as a kid, you know, that was a song I always played. It was just fun. It was good. Yeah, you, right. You, you turn it up, crank it up. It's Johnny's hand. You, 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 it's, it's a feel good song. It's a good right? sing along. It's, it's, like, it's like a better version of Happy Birthday, right? Yeah, it, it's, it's fun. But I, I wanted to share with you something because this album means so much to me and always has that. When I first listened to music, and I mean not the AM radio and all the pop hits, but when I started to listen to albums, you know, I I was young, you know, young enough. I can't remember Mm -hmm. the day, but the first three albums in my life, you're going to love this, man. Uh, First one was the White Album, right? So there was my influence. The White Album was my first album. The second album that I I played and played and played was All Things Must Pass. Nice. And the third album that was a big hit was ram mccartney's first solo album. i love that album as well oh god yeah so you know uh, and, no wonder i i fell in love with music and you yourself you know the go ahead i, I think the other thing too is like i think a lot of people kind of crap on the mccartney solo records and the wings records you know oh my god it's kind of syrupy and and that but i love those albums me too i was always a huge fan of those Ram's a great album. Venus and Mars, great album. Yeah. Right, you know, listen, is it Poppy, Magneto, Entertainer, Man? Yeah, I get it. You know? Sure. But I digress. It's a day for George Harrison. 
Yeah. <laughs> All right. Stuff. So we're gonna we're gonna do one more, and this is All off right. the Apple Jam. So it's just uh, this one's just um, you know it's instrumental. There's there's no lyrics, but uh, this one is called "I Remember Jeep." This one, you know, there's a lot of weird stuff going on in the background of this, and it's really yeah. the sound is not not great, you know, because it sounds like it was just right. they had tape running and they're in the room jamming, which is fine, but it, it's it's Eric Clapton at like peak Eric Clapton, right? And I was say, it's all Clapton, it, right? It's just I I listen. It's an eight minute long jam session, and yeah. if you're into you know just the music without the lyrics, this this is the place to go on this record for me. Nah, it's fantastic. And right away you hear Clapton, you know, just sitting yeah. there jamming, playing along. Yeah. And these were tough years. Now, I digress again, stand up, but these were tough years for Clapton. Yeah, and here, here's something interesting about this. So it, it, it is, it's Eric Clapton on guitar, and Jeep was the name of Clapton's dog. It was a Weimaraner that was rumored to have gone missing around this time. No. And then the note that I saw is that details of anything Eric Clapton related in 1970 are sketchy. And the reason <laughs> yeah. for that is while Eric is like best friends with George Harrison, he's also falling in love with George Harrison's wife. Yeah. And then he can't deal with it. And he starts doing heroin to kind of, you know, deal with the shit of where he's, you know, basically in love with his best friend's wife. Yeah, a lot of turmoil in these days. So who knows what happened to the dog? <laughs> I'm not saying anything nefarious happened, but the dog disappeared. <laughs> yeah, we don't want to leave on that note. Hopefully we found the dog. <laughs> so, wow. so along with Harrison and, and Clapton, Klaus Vorman's on this, Billy Preston's on it, and the drummer is Ginger Baker. Very cool. So right after the session, Clapton then teamed up to form Derek and the Dominoes with... Bobby Whitlock, Carl Radel, and Jim Gordon, who are all on this record. So this album did so much for music because Derek and the Dominoes came out of that. And it really kind of, like you were saying with Eric Clapton, it's kind of a turning point in Clapton's life where it, it I guess it kind of went to shit, 
you know, he got out of it and got cleaned up and everything, but he went through a period here in the early 70s that was not pretty. Oh, no, these were his dark days. No doubt about it. Yeah. No doubt. And he didn't know how to get out of it. Right. Well, that's, you know, it's it just got worse and worse as he layered the drugs on top yeah. of it. Um, but Jeep if the dog actually... The Go ahead. No, say so you ever get the chance, read his autobiography. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't read it, but I definitely would take a, list, a, yeah. a read of it. I read it. It's great. Um, Jeep the dog actually appears in a publicity photo that the band used on the laylist leave for the Derek and the Dominoes wow. record. So they found them. Yeah. Well, they had a picture of him. <laughs> it was lost dog. <laughs> Have you seen my dog? Have you seen my dog? <laughs> all right. So while that's not all of all things past, it's most of it. <laughs> ah, just. So that's it. Enjoy the album. Thanks for listening. I hope you had a good time and I hope you appreciate the, the fantastic yeah. record, All Things Must Pass. That's and it. Up next, Tom, we are going to dive into Dookie by Green Dookie. Day. That'll so, be fun. I look forward to that. Yeah. I don't know. Have you ever heard that record? Yeah, you know, I actually You've have. you probably heard a bunch of the songs, I'm oh, sure. Oh, yeah. No, I actually have. Popular. You know, I, uh, you know uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a big punk fan. They were the next generation of punk. Yeah. Uh, I, and I, didn't, I didn't treat them like I should have because I like I didn't the either at first. Punk. I didn't either at first, and I'll tell I'll, when we record next time. Yeah. I'll get into that a little bit. You know more. what I'm talking about, right? But yep. the the band uh, they have become basically legendary and have influenced so much of the music that's out there today. So awesome. uh, we'll get into that and take a look, and we'll see you next time. Subscribe, oh, like, hit the buttons, do the things, share with your friends, and we'll see you next time on Inside the Album. See you, Don. Later.